It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Okay, are you ready to cultivate the ability to heal and create miracles that have a lasting effect? According to today's special guest, Mark Mincola, Ph.D., Developing our superconscious mind and recognizing the divine source that exists within each of us is what generates miracles. A holistic physician for more than three decades, Mark used his own techniques and learnings to cure himself of a life-threatening illness. In his book, The Way of Miracles, he shares experiences, documented research, and exercises that he provides his patients with and uses himself to raise consciousness. The Way of Miracles is an adventure for the mind and spirit that begins with the premise that miracles don't randomly happen. We create them. Mark Mancola, Ph.D., is a nutritional therapist and quantum energy healer who has transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years. Through his innovative genius, he has integrated Chinese energy, healing techniques with cutting-edge nutritional science in what he calls electromagnetic muscle testing. Dr. McCullough was awarded the Divine Contribution to Humanity Award in the, in, at the 2021 Rishikesh International Film Festival, and his movie, The Way of Miracles, was awarded the Best Health Awareness Film of 2021. He has authored six best-selling books to date and has appeared on Dr. Oz and other national TV and radio shows, and in magazines. Good morning, Dr. McCullough. Would you prefer I call you Dr. McCullough or Mark? <laughs> I prefer Mark. Great to, great to meet you, and it's great to be on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you are so welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. I always like to make sure, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, if you'd like to go by your title, I, I like to honor that. But Mark is great. Okay. So, you know, it struck me um, in, I have your book, The Way of Miracles, and it struck me in the beginning because this sounded like I could have written it. Uh, I was accustomed to taking on the role of the peacemaker, even as a young child. And though I was born to heal, growing up, having to be a healer took a lot out of me. My needs often took a backseat to a host of ongoing dramas. Subsequently, many of the relationships I'd formed through my life for unconscious reaction from my wounded child self rather than the conscious action of my higher self. I'd become selfless to the point of debilitation. I was the initiator, the enabler, the caregiver, and apologizer. I diligently tried to be good to everyone, everyone that is but myself. Wow. Um, You know, that is your story. It's so similar to my story, and it's so similar to so many of the listeners that are with us. So tell me how that, how that kind of background can set us up for 
physical and emotional well, first, first issues? Of first, first of all, I say that there are two primary polarities in the world, in the universe. There's okay. self and the other. And when we're, when we're first born, when we're young children, every, the focus is all on other. So we're being empowered, fed, kept warm, protected. Everything is being given to us. Everything that we need that stabilizes us, everything we need that, that grounds us, that, that supports us, that feeds us, that loves us, everything is coming from other. So other is mother, other is father, other is family world, it's, it's culture, it's, it's neighborhood, it's school, it's coaches, it's teachers, it's other, 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 other. And we're sort of swamped in this, this ocean of other identity. And, and I don't think many people realize when they're in that process of pleasing other and keeping other presence in our lives and keeping other supporting us and feeding us and giving us all the vital aspects of life that we so desperately need in our formative years. We, we give, 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 give in so many different ways to get to, to make sure that other is still there for us, to make sure we're not upsetting other, to make sure that we're pleasing other, to make sure that we're, we're putting, a, putting forth an energy that reassures the stability of feeding and, and support and care and love. So I think that we, we arrive at a certain point later in life, maybe in our 20s, 30s, whatever, we arrive at certain points in our life we realize that we've been giving so much to, to stabilize what we get back, that we've established relationships that, that are not really, they're not really true love relationships. They're not healthy relationships. They're not, they're not stable relationships. There's a whole lot of dysfunctionalism that, that becomes developed in the process. And I think that I arrived at that place in my life in my 20s, and it, and it lingered for a long time. It was from probably like 20 to 40. I spent... 20 years of my life trying to trying to reconcile this stuff, trying to reroute everything, trying to redirect everything, trying to rechannel everything in a different direction, in a direction that was more autonomous, a direction that, was, that began with my loving myself. And and it it's very difficult because it flies in the face of your honorship, your honoring of other. You know, there's a there's a subconscious honoring of other that that I talked about earlier. And the subconscious honoring of other, when you first tackle this this, this issue of self love. It almost feels like you're betraying somebody. It almost feels like you're, 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 you're doing something wrong because you're so programmed to be pleasing to, and, to, and to, to support that which supports you. And it gets to the point where, and it got to the point in my life where I started to become aware of the fact that my whole life is in such disparity, such dysfunctional disparity. There was, there was, there's no balance. There wasn't, there wasn't this grounding centered point of me tapping into my source Tapping into my my core and loving that part of me, you know. And again, when you talk about self love, again, there's, everything's in dual dualistic terms in, in our world. And the dualistic terms here, to a great extent, are the idea of a wounded a wounded self and a champion self. And I didn't know how to occupy a champion self. I didn't know how to build a champion self. I didn't know how to, to initiate or create a champion self. I knew how to. I knew only how to be a wounded a wounded self. And so I, I think when I went through the years of my discovery about my wounds and my wounded nature, and I really wanted to dedicate myself to overcoming that wounded nature with autonomy and self-love, I had to realize that part of me was unlovable. The part of me that's the part of me that's ego-based, the part of me that's materialistic, the part of me that's limited, the part of me that's not real, the part of me that doesn't dig deep into my core, into my soul. So I, I've discovered that what I had to do to balance all this out 
was to, to tap into the source that is soul, to tap into my, my deeper self, my eternal self, and to, and to emanate from that place, not just, to, not just to become aware of it. It's not enough to become aware of it. You have to actually endeavor to come from that place, to emanate from that place, to emanate from source, to emanate from soul, and to clear out the energetic pathway to project your life and your life experience through your through your source through your soul and that's a lot easier to love the soul is much easier to love i can love myself when i think of myself as a soul souls don't make mistakes souls aren't souls aren't sinners souls aren't flawed souls aren't powerless you know souls have power souls have have clarity souls have have eternal power souls are, are perfect so when I started identifying with myself more as a source than as a soul, it became easier for me to love myself. And that, became, mm. and that, that made it easier ultimately for me to overcome my lack of self-love and my addiction for pleasing people. That makes so much sense. Oh, thank you for sharing that. So many of us, I mean, there are, there are adults who have grown up as children who were, uh, who had, were fortunate to have parents who helped them build um, a, a sense of self-love and boundaries and, and that kind of thing. But I think for most of us, we really get to adulthood and we have to figure this out on our own. And it is very confusing. I know, um, you know, most of my clients have no concept of what self-love is. And, um, and we have to begin. But I like... I like the way that you explain that because, yes, you're right. If we love the soul, the soul is perfect. That's so much easier to do. Um, you said that you've always resonated with the Hindu belief that everything comes from karma and moksha. Karma meaning negative consequences of our actions and moksha meaning, moksha meaning liberation from suffering. Um, can you elaborate on that for us? Yes, I think all the... Um of the, of the dysfunctionalism that I, that I spoke about earlier mm-hmm. has also a spiritual hue, if you will, or a spiritual lens that we can mm-hmm. view it from. So it's, it's not just psychological, not just sociological, it's also spiritual. So to think in terms of the pain, the suffering, the confusion that I mentioned, that's all directly tied into, I believe it is anyway, cause and effect that's spiritual. And that's, that's what karma is. Karma is all about this, this amazing gravity in the universe that if you make, make an errant decision, you, make, you, you choose some decision that's not aligned with nature or not aligned with your true nature. Again, your true nature is your soul. So you make decisions that are pleasing to your ego. You make decisions that are not pleasing to your soul. You make decisions and, and, and select choices of things that are actually tied into the dysfunctionalism, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the confusion. You're, you're so much more inclined to make a wrong decision when you're, when you're emphasizing pain, confusion, hurt, suffering. So, I mean, when you're, when you're suffering, you just want to make a decision that makes the suffering stop. So in many cases, you're going to choose addiction. You're going to choose pleasure. You're not going to choose the right, you're not going to make the right decision. So when you're, when you're sort of swamped with these inner feelings of, wanting to escape your pain and suffering. And that, when that predominates your, your behaviors and your choices about life, it takes you further away from your spiritual nature of, of purity, of soulful purity like we talked about. And it takes you more in the direction of ego. And I think by doing that, you create karma. So by making those decisions that are painful, those decisions that are, that are 
that are confusing that seem to want to promise, seem to want to promise an end to suffering when they're just, when they're truly about, in most cases, instant gratification. Instant gratification is instant. It, it, it ends just as quickly as it's initiated. And any gratification that's instant like that is indicative of karma. So I choose something that's instantly gratifying to make my pain go away. My pain goes away for a minute or two, and then, then it gets worse. Then it gets worse. That intensification of pain and suffering is more correlated with karma. Moksha is liberation. So when I, when I finally wake up one day and say, I, I, I can't keep doing this. This isn't working. Mm-hmm. Every, time I choose, every time I choose instant gratification, it gets more expansive. It gets worse for me. It, it hurts more every time. So it's more important for me than ever to, to change the pattern, to make this all change. I need to make the different decisions. I, there's a great Buddhist term that I used to think about all the time. And the term is this. We can either choose long-term suffering or short-term pain. And truth and karma can be, can be beneficial when we choose short-term pain. When we're willing to suffer short-term for the purpose of clearing the long-term suffering, that's when good things start to happen. That's when, that's when we start to reach moksha and liberation. Well, I really love, I love that. I love that whole philosophy. And I guess most people do try that karmic route. Um, the, you know, trying the short term um, relief of their pain and eventually come to a, you know, a place where they go, okay, this isn't working. You know, you're absolutely right. You're right. And that is, and so moksha is when we come to that liberation that, that, realization that we don't want to suffer anymore and that there's a different way to do this. Um, you also speak and of... It's a con- God- it's an, and it's a, con- it's a conscious distinction, too. It's making that, conscious, that, that distinction uh-huh. consciously that to choose that immediate instantaneous gratification is, is, is going to make a difference short term, but it's going to leave you deeper in your, in your spiritual debt. I think when you make that, that conscious connection, you start realizing that you've dug a hole that you need to climb yourself out of. Mm. So true. The other term that you've used in this book is Vajra. Um, and you say it isn't a phenomenon that randomly, randomly appears in our lives. We unconsciously create it. What is Vajra? Vajra is referred to by the Hindus as the great thunderbolt. The great thunderbolt. So, like, in other words... You continue to mask your karma. You may continue to make the wrong decision. You choose instant gratification. It doesn't work for very long. You're, you're happy for five minutes, and then you're back in misery even deeper than you started. When that continues on and on and on and on and on, your karma gets deeper, 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 deeper. Then you, then you deal with, then you deal with the, the great thunderbolt, Vajra. The, the great thunderbolt is when you, you, you postpone your liberation. You postpone your your, your your healing, so to speak, you're, you're, you postpone your, your cleansing, you you're postpone your, your enlightenment, let's say. By postponing that enlightenment process, you end up creating an energy that, that, that masses at a higher level. So it's like saying every time I choose instant gratification, I'm, I'm stor- storing a higher level of, of, I'd say punishment. I hate to say the word punishment, but it's, that's the word. And we, and we, we inflict it on ourselves because of lack of consciousness. But that's what karma is. And I think when karma gets deeper and stronger and, and more postponed and more postponed and more postponed, it leads to the great thunderbolt. That's when, that's when you really get 
waking up. That's that's when the universe wants to hit a thunderclap over your head and ring the alarm. Time to wake up. Right. Well, yeah, it's the proverbial two by four. It's like, you know, how many times are you going to get hit with the same thing before you wake up? Right. So, okay, that's that explains that. Uh, All right. Another thing you talk about in your book is you say that the flow of life is not linear, it's circular. Therefore, every state of brokenness will ultimately evolve to a state of wholeness. What do you mean by that? That means that there's no separation. Separation is the great illusion. We can't separate the liberation from the karma. You can't, can't separate the good from the bad. That They go together. They work together. Like Think of the Tai Chi circle. The Tai Chi circle has a dark half circle with a light middle and a light dark half circle with a dark middle. So that's representative visually of, of the unification of all things good and bad. So the idea that we're able to produce an effect in our lives that is eternally liberated, has everything in the world to do with our willingness to take on the responsibility of enlightenment. And I think that it's all about advancing your consciousness. It's all about taking the time to mindfully, you know, to be aware mindfully and to be tuned into the fact that you are, in essence, you're energetically made up of an essence. I think there's a great exercise in the book that I talk about. I ask the reader to look in the mirror and to, to get the nearest mirror and look in that mirror in the center core of your eyes. Look right in the core of your eyeballs and to look at your eyes for 10 minutes, un, uninterrupted, 10, 10 straight minutes without interruption. And I think you begin to feel what I call your essence. You begin to feel the, the soul in you that, that you are. And I said this whole process is about identification. And I say that you think about identifying your eye. I refer to it in one of my books, a book called Whole Health, is identifying your eye. So when you say the word eye, we say the word eye, we write the word eye about 500 times a day. Who qualifies it? Answer, nobody. So I think that it's important to qualify when you say eye. Who, who is your eye? What are, are you really familiar with who you really are? I mean... We're marching around as personalities with, with, with physicality, with mechanical nature, with, with material nature, with ego nature. But how, how really tuned in are we when we say the word I? Who is I? So I say when you look in that mirror for 10 minutes, you really look in the core of your eyeballs. That's when you feel the essence of your eye. And by identifying the essence of your eye, you're re-identifying yourself. And that brings you right to the point of miracles. By identifying yourself, you then move into the realm where miracles are. You don't have to create them. You can actually go to the realm where they exist. It's almost like saying, I mentioned the other day in a comparative, I said, if you want to grow, if you want to grow artichokes, you got to go to the climate that actually serves artichoke, artichoke development and growth. So you go to dry, hot environments. You go to Texas, South Texas. You'll grow artichokes beautifully. You won't grow artichokes in New England, that's for sure. Especially now, too much rain. So the objective is to go where the cultivation process is natural. So the cultivation of miracles is in the ego. It doesn't exist there. You're not going to grow. You're not going to grow that that vegetable. You're not going to grow that 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 prize in, in the part of the in the part of the self that is damp. You got to grow your 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 liberation, your miracles, in your soul self. 
by looking in the mirror, I say you identify your eye, you, you tap into the real you, and that's when you're capable of of riding, flowing, traveling with, moving alongside of, and channeling true miracles. I can't wait to try this. I that this sounds so interesting. Now, once you've um, connected with that soul self, um, does that connection stay, or is it something that you that we have to nurture to continue it? Well, you know, when when it's Christmas time and a kid goes down, the Christmas presents are all under the tree, and they they get up early, they get up at five thirty in the morning, they're just excited. They run downstairs, they see the bike, they see the the special gifts, and they run back to bed and they try to make believe they never saw it. <laughs> once you see, once you've seen that bike, you're not going to be able to hold it in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, that's such a good analogy. That's really good. So once you look, in, once you look in, your, in the eyes of your own soul, it's pretty hard to forget it. Mm, you've, you've, right. un, you've unraveled the process. Wow, that's so inspiring! I'm so excited to try that. Uh, oh, I have so many things that you've said in here. Um, everything that informs our five senses and our knowledge base defines our awareness and therefore our consciousness. But in order for our consciousness to be our reality, it must be observed either objectively or subjectively. It requires a witness. It must be observed either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you can um, elaborate on that, that comment. Well, that, that, that comes right off of what we just talked about beautifully. Okay. Because you, the observer is the thing that's the important point there. Okay. So you can actually take part in your life process as an observer, or you don't have to be an observer. You know, you can actually, you, 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 we all decide consciously what we commit our awareness to. So some people commit their awareness to certain issues in life, and they don't commit their awareness to other issues in life. So we, we pick and choose unconsciously and consciously what we, what we direct our, con, our, our, our attention to. So... By being a conscious observer, um, I say there's, there's, two different, there's two different possibilities. We can either be, we can either embrace unconscious reaction or conscious proactive. So you can either be unconsciously reactive or consciously proactive. And I think that what I'm trying to say there is it's, it's important that you make that distinction. You know who you are when you're being unconsciously reactive. You know who you are when you're being consciously proactive. There are two different people there, and you're, you're two different people all the time. So to be aware of the, of the people that you are reflecting, that you're being tuned into the reflection of your energy throughout the course of the average day is very important. But you need to, to, to choose. You need to choose proactive consciousness, conscious proactivity, as opposed to just negative reaction. I think most of us, especially when we talked about earlier about victims, Victims have become programmed to be unconscious reactions, unconscious reactionary types. And as long as you continue to live your life unconsciously reactive, you'll never liberate. You'll never, you'll never enlighten. So to make life a healing experience, a miracle experience, it's a matter of committing yourself to higher ground. And higher ground has to be attained through the action, the subjective, objective action of being internally proactive at a conscious level. 
You are absolutely right. Did you, you have so much wisdom that you've attained over the years. Was this, did you learn this through study? Did you learn this through influence of others and other um, philosophies? Did you have um, spiritual guidance? How did you come to all this wisdom? Wisdom. Um, I think there's there's two ways that, that that can be attained. One way is through study, like you say. Another way is through tapping into your soul. And I truly believe that there is an infinite source of eternal information from the soul. The soul is not limited in any way, shape, or form. The ego has force, represents force. The soul represents power. And true power is, is, an, infinite, is an infinite wellspring of information, truth. And I think when you, when you find a way to tap into your source, as I said earlier, to emanate from your source, not to just, not just to find it, not just to know who you are. That's important at the beginning, to look in the mirror and to see yourself but to, to then engage in active form of channeling, emanating your energy through that source, through that soul. And I think that's the key. I think that what I did most of my life is just dig in, constantly dig in, go deeper within myself, deeper within myself, deeper within myself, tap in, tap in, tap in, and, and ask questions of all, of all sorts. I mean, I ask questions every day through my work. I ask questions for myself. From people that I love, I'm always tapping in, trying to find solutions from within my soul, the, the wellspring of my soul. I think when you begin tapping into the wellspring of your soul, you'll never be steered the wrong way. You'll never, it's all about discernment. Am I clear about tapping in? Am I clear about the process of engaging with my soul? Am I emanating from my soul? Am I, am I listening to my soul? Am, is there an imposter in there? Is, is, there, is, there, is this a trick? I need to differentiate. I need to, just, to, just, to distinguish I need to tap into the real source that is that is the real deal, the real soul, and I think that's that's the that's the the Akashic records. That's the library that I check into. Okay. And it's a reference li- that's a reference library that has all the answers. So I believe it's, it's it begins looking in that mirror. Okay, so you are tapping into the Akashic records. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And that's something that if we all begin to tap into our soul and the core of who we are, we'll be able to do that as well. Yeah. Mm. I think that's why we're here. I think we're here to discover ourselves. I think we're here to discover the wellspring that is our soul and to Mm. emanate from that place and to enlighten. You know, enlightening means the body's heavy physical form, the material form, the ego stuff, and all the different issues of the ego. That's heavy. It's too heavy for me. I can't keep carrying it. Too heavy. I want to put it all down. I want to just, I want to emanate from my soul. I want to be lighter. I want to just, I want to travel light. And that, that really, that inspires me because, you know, it, it is, so it's possible for us to walk around with light, you know, feeling lighter rather than feeling the heaviness of the physical world. We can actually exist in a lighter um, yeah, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but yeah, we can exist in a lighter realm almost. We can, we can all do that, right? Of course, of course. I think that's, as I said a minute ago, I think that's the, the reason for our living. That's the reason for our having consciousness. Hmm. And I think people who take the time to dedicate and devote themselves to 
their enlightenment process. No, nobody's unhappy doing that. I mean, there's never been anybody in the history of planet Earth that was ever unhappy pursuing that path. You're right. You're absolutely right. At some point in your book, you say um, you had posed the question that if I were to ask you on a scale from one to ten, what is your miracle making power? <laughs> what kind of responses do you get when you ask people that? The number is always low. Ninety percent of the time, it's it's the little old me syndrome. I couldn't do that. That's from Mother Teresa. I can't do that. So a lot of the time, you might hit a five or a six. Most of the time, you hit a zero to three. It's once in a blue moon you get somebody to say a ten, and I'm sure I can trust them. <laughs> what are miracles? Miracles are events that are not expected. Miracles are events that are extraordinary and they're not expected. And, and they can result in saving life. They can result in truly remarkable, extraordinary events that that have a probability factor that's extremely low. I mean, a million to one, 50 million to one, 100 million to one. That, that, those are miracles. So if when someone um, comes down with a disease or illness, are there certain instances where is supposed to be their exit point that is supposed to be so no matter how many miracles they search for they're still ultimately going to pass from this this realm so are miracles how do we just how do we know when miracles um can happen i know that's kind well, of like a broad question but maybe you no <laughs> maybe it's, you a great question. it's a great question and then we <clears throat> talked earlier about how Every, there's no separation is the ultimate is the ultimate illusion. Separation doesn't exist. Okay. So the duality is always in place. Good and evil, good and bad, blah blah. It's always it's always converged. So I say that death and life. I wrote about it in the book. Actually, there's a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. information. The first fifteen twenty pages are all about death. So I think the most important thing to tackle right away is that. Separation is an illusion, starting with life and death being separate. They're not separate. They're part of the same thing. You can't separate life and death in any way, shape, or form. And I talk about that in great detail in the book. And I'm and I'm threatening my next movie to be about death, by the way. My next Ooh. book and my next movie. Cool. And I okay. think if there's anything if there's anything that this world needs, is to, to enlighten itself about death, to free itself, to liberate itself, to separate itself from victimization at, at that level, because even the most wise people on the, on the planet, even, the, even those who are enlightened, those who did their work, everybody has a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety about the concept of death. And death is the great unknown. I mean, you can, you can know your soul, you can know everything, but you can't know death. So that's, that's, that's to me, is, is, a, is a natural for us. If we're talking about healing the planet, you got to start with death. you gotta, you got to heal, heal the planet from its... its his curse about death. I think, again, to, to answer your, your current question is this. Death and life are, are synonymous. You can't separate them. They're one. 
And I think the objective is to understand that if you if you're liberated in that sense, and and, and appreciate and embrace the, the the blending of life and death, then you understand energetically that there's no limitations except for our concept, our thoughts about it. We tend to have limitation thoughts about life and death. And I say that you want to approach life and death without limitation. Uh, so, so is death is death seen as something that that hurts your life, that hurts the people around you, that disappoints everybody, that's a failure. You you messed up. You left a you left a body so you didn't have to clean up after you after you after you after you rose out of it. You know what I'm saying? And I right. think that the objective is you can see that as a, as, a, as, a, as a flight, a flying. I mean, I'm going to fly. You're going to fly. Imagine that without a body, flying flying across the universe, free as a free as free as a bird. I mean, I think you can you can conceptualize it as free flight, limitless capability to just to just to live to live in touch. So in other words, you have the most limitless capacity to live. You got to die. Hmm. Yeah. So the blending of life and death is really about understanding what what consciousness is and what our soul is. Right. That our soul is eternal. Sure. Sure. <clears throat> right. Because I know that when I embrace that, and this has been going on for many years for me, you know, studying and learning, and once I embrace that, there's just no nothing to fear, you know. It is, like you say, it is all the same. We flow from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, and it's all part of um, the the experience of our soul and our consciousness, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. I think, I think the other part of the other part of that is when you do that, you not only you not only put your fear aside, you open up the flow of energy from you at the highest level. Mm. So the, the 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 greatest the greatest life force, greatest energy you get is is from liberation from the fear of death. There's no greater healing, there's no greater life force, there's no greater charge of energy, there's no greater vibration, no greater vibration in the universe, no greater vibration in the universe than the human contemplation and liberation over death. Hmm. Really? Really. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So, okay, uh, you talk about, so so <clears throat> as far as manifesting um, miracles, you talk about studies that demonstrate that if a person imagines an event with a sense of confident expectancy, the brain produces the exact neurochemistry that it would produce if the person was actually experiencing the physical event. So, so when you talk about it this way, you're talking about evidential, um, you know, there, evidential experiences or, or proof that this actually can happen, which sometimes it's good to present it that way. So this is more of a scientific approach. Um, so tell us about that study and how you interpret it. Well, there's studies, a lot of studies were done actually at Harvard in the 80s about the anterior cingulate cortex, part of the brain that actually is wired neurologically to produce the same response, the same electrical response in the brain, whether you're doing something or whether you're imagining it. In other words, they had 
they tested people, they, they hooked them up to 256 electrodes, and they had them play these, these beautiful concert piano pieces, these, these impresarios, great, great musicians playing beautiful piano pieces. And they noted the parts of the brain that lit up. And then they had a bunch of duffers who didn't know the first thing about playing the piano, sit on the piano, imagining that they were playing the same pieces. They actually played them over a loudspeaker in the, in the, in the research room. And they had them imagining that they were playing it. And they, they couldn't help but notice that the exact same vectors in the brain, in the anterior cingulate cortex, were lit up no differently, the same exact way. Same exact way. So whether you're imagining something, whether you're, whether you're imagining or whether you're really doing it, creates a differential of expectancy. So when you're imagining something and you're really, and you're really devoting your imagination to it, you're, you're, you're generating an expectancy, and they claim that the difference in the chemistry was pr produced by, by, that, by that term. So the expectancy is what they found made to be the difference maker. When you expect something to happen, you produce the brain chemistry that actually makes it happen, and that sort of initiates the process of making miracles in a way. <laughs> so, right, it's a sort of a scientific approach to showing how possible miracles truly are. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we, um, okay. So we talked about that um, that life and death are sort of in a circular. Um, they're circular, not linear, and um, yeah, because there's no beginning, and no end. Right, no beginning. Okay, so you're. So you the, next beginning, the, the next beginning, the next beginning begins at the last end. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. I'm just trying to formulate my thought around this question. <laughs> uh, so divine universal energy is not separate from us. What is divine universal energy? So we are energy. We are energetic beings. Everything what is? Uh, okay. So what is d the divine universal energy? It's like a collective consciousness. It's like a it's like a God consciousness. It's okay. it's like it's like we have. I, I, just, I differentiate in the book the two two primary forms of consciousness. There's personal consciousness, which is just your personal awareness, and then there's this collective universal consciousness that has the awareness of every tree and plant and flower and fish and animal and and human being that's come and gone, spirits that are surrounding the planet. Just this massive, this massive configuration of energy that's that's purely based on consciousness, and and, and we're, we're 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 part of that too because I always say you don't have consciousness, we don't have consciousness, we are consciousness. That's the difference. So I think that we are the consciousness that, that, that melds with the universal consciousness. And I think when we get to the point where we take our personal consciousness out of the equation and understand that our, 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 our consciousness is actually part of the universal expression of consciousness, and by understanding that, we take on a whole different form, a whole different form of thought. We become, I think we, we approach enlightenment when we understand the universal consciousness, the collective consciousness, the God, the God mind, the God, God consciousness, God right. molecule. And enlightenment, would, you would describe enlightenment as what? Like I said a little while ago, light, lightening up my, my, my presence. So when you're in a deep meditation, 
you, whenever you get into a very deep, deep meditation or, or contemplation or prayer or any kind of trance or anything like that, you become essence. You become energy that is just pure essence. You become pure consciousness. You don't have elbows, knees, and, and ankles. You just, you just, you, you reduce yourself to, to, to essence, as I keep saying. Like when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, the way I describe you, you reduce yourself to essence. Okay. When you reduce yourself to essence, you're lighter. You're, and, and that's what enlightenment is. I think when you get really developed in enlightenment, you become the essence, and, you, and you're aware of the essence that you've become. And you're not bogged down by a lot of physicality, a lot of a lot of mechanics and mortality and all that. So I think you, okay. know, you begin the process. You begin the process of downloading your your soul with 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 the conscious awareness of your essence. So when you leave this world, you're purely light as a feather. You know, you like I said, you're you're flying like a bird. If we if we live according to um, what I believe is, it, it's, it makes so much sense what you're saying. If we live according to that, how do we keep our head from being in the clouds all the time when we have this, we live in this physical world with so many challenges? Because it's very easy to sort of take off into the cosmos um, and sort of want to live there because it is so much lighter and, and, it just feels happier. It feels energizing. Well, I think there's a difference. I think there's, there's a difference between enlightenment and marijuana. <laughs> okay. And I think so. enlightenment, enlightenment makes me makes me a better purveyor of life on the planet. It makes it makes my like I said earlier. You know, the information, the, the wellspring that you're tapped into makes you makes you wiser. It makes you more complete, more whole. Makes you a better plumber it makes you a better airline pilot it makes you a better everything so i think that consciousness is is not is not relegated to this escapism it's not relative to my head being in the clouds and, and not taking not wanting to take part in the world i like i'm just gonna stay meditative all day that's because i can't stand the world I don't, it doesn't work like that i think that you become more complete as a being and i think that your attempts to Evolve are all met with a higher, higher presence of awareness that serves everything that we do. Again, being more sensitively attuned can make you a better husband, better wife, can make you a better father, better better mother, make you better friends, can make you a better, better fellow human. You know, I think that it helps everything. I think it makes everything significantly more, more aware, more sensitive, more tuned in, more caring, more loving, more ser- more service oriented. I think I think it's better. I mean, I, I think about my spiritual teachers, for example, and think about think about Christ, think about the Buddha, think about Muhammad, think about any of the the, the, the ascended masters. I mean, they're examples of people that came to this planet, this this worldly experience, and developed their consciousness at the highest possible level, and became better in service, in love. They became better teachers. They became better everything because of their consciousness expansion. It, it didn't make them. It didn't, it didn't shrink them. It expanded them. And I'm glad that you explained that because I think that many people that get into um, this pursuit of consciousness and enlightenment, 
can almost, they almost don't want to be in the physical world, but we are in the physical world. And this is part of what we need to do when we're here. We need to evolve and we don't, we, we have to live a life as a human in a physical world in order to evolve. So what you're saying is this really helps us to do it better, more efficiently, more effectively, and to create more evolution for ourselves and for others, right? No question about that. That's absolutely correct. And I also think that, again, there's no separation is an illusion, like you say. It's the grand illusion that you're, you're both, you know, I like Taoism. Taoism is a philosophy. It's a beautiful way to look at it. Only the Tao is singular. The Tao is like God the Father. It's like the, the it's like the universal awareness, the universal consciousness, whatever. And everything else beyond the Tao is dual. It's dualistic. It's it's, it's yin and yang. It's it's both both parties. So it's like saying that our separation is an illusion. You know, you you're, you're to be both a sinner and a saint, and that's okay. That's okay. I think we need to remove the guilt factor. I think we need to, you know, we have the divine nature to forgive ourselves in a flawless way. I mean, you don't have to be forgiven by God. You can be forgiven by the God self. And I think that you get to the point where you have the capability and, and the invitation to be your highest possible being self in your soul and to actually render your your your, your, your foibled self, your, your flawed self, is forgiven. So instead of looking at ourselves purely from the flawed direction and saying, I don't love myself because I'm such a sinner. I'm such an incomplete creep. And I think that from there, you can actually tap into the fact that you have a divine self that can forgive that. That's the beautiful part of our duality. And I think when we make peace with our divine nature, our, our dual nature, that's when we have the, the ability to, to, to really ascend to the highest possible level of, of enlightenment. And yes, think about this. You, and then with that equation I just mapped out, you can be a sinner and still be enlightened. How's that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good... That's a it's really a party good that everybody's invited to in my book. <laughs> what a great world that would be. What a great world. It's a great universe. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great universe. Uh, well, there's even more than this universe, right? You, um, do you believe that? that? There's even more than this? I think they've and, discovered 18 universes so far. And the universes are creating themselves every day. So we're up wow. to 18 universes and, and, and counting. Amazing. Amazing. Uh Okay. The less we do, the more we invite the universe to do through us. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's about having the consciousness to know who we truly are. Um, less is more. We don't want to resist. We want to allow, right? Is that what you're saying there? Sure, it is. I think, I think it's what we just said a minute ago. We are the universe. And when we're not given to bursts of ego we have to identify ourselves beyond the universe above the universe as, as we might imagine i think that the only other objective is to see ourselves as part of the universe and to realize that the universe and we are one so I, I, it's important i think i think placement is important meaning that you can you can a lot of people, I mean, if you ask the average person, they'd see the universe as, as a place, like a galaxy or a solar system. The universe is a bunch of planets and stars, gaseous agents in the, in the sky. You know, the universe is a place, like a galaxy. No, it's not a place. You're, you are the universe. You are the universe. The universe is consciousness. You are consciousness. 
the universe is a collection of integrative conscious energy, which you're which you're very much a part of. And again, I think that, like I said earlier, when you when you think about the, the duality that 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 we're confronted with, there's self and other. Self has been discouraged. Self has been discouraged. Self has been has been stamped a sinner. And other is 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 where our hope is. We we put our hope in others, not in self. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a huge mistake. I think we need to put our put our hope in self, and to understand self, understand the duality of self, and to forgive and appreciate the, the dualistic nature of self as as a given as a given imperfect perfect imperfection. So we are we are representative of perfect imperfection, and I think we need to understand that the universe is representative of our our process, our energy, our connection to all things. We're all unified. You know, there's no difference between black and white, man and woman, old and young. That's all foolish. That's, that's completely foolish. That's material, that's material bias. So there's only one huge sea, one ocean of consciousness. That's what we're part of. We're, we're part of the ocean of infinite consciousness. And to swim in that, that infinite universe of consciousness is what we're invited by ourselves to do. But we have to invite ourselves. So in attainment of this state, do we want to stay away from negative influences? And when I say that, you know, I might, I'm primarily thinking about politics and all this nonsense that goes on in the world. Do, can we be part of all of that and still achieve what we're trying to achieve? We can't help but be part of it. We're part of everything. <laughs> But I, I think that your other question is important. We want to be able to move into our soul. And like I said, there's, there's, there's a, a wellspring of information there. I ask my soul whether, whether a certain given influence is one that is healthy for me or unhealthy for me. And I listen to that. And I stay away from certain influences that my soul tells me to stay away from. Because there still is good and evil in the universe. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of aggressive evil in the universe right now more than ever right and i think it's important it's important to have discernment and, and tap into the wellspring of your soul for for the truth about placement camaraderie connections i don't sell out if something doesn't work for my soul i don't go there no matter what it means i mean it can be a million dollars whatever it does. i'm not going there i don't i don't get sucked into that so i ask my soul my soul tells me and i and i, and I follow so is it important to be aware of the things that are going on around us that are influencing us? Or trying, to I should say trying to influence us. I should say that. <laughs> not, not, yes, trying to influence us. It's, it's, it's just important to be aware. It's important to be aware. And then we ask ourselves, our higher selves, is this something I want to continue, um, you know, thinking about, downloading, uh, being involved in, so forth and so on. You know, you know, there's an interesting process. I think the process is neurological. You can feel your answers before you even ask yourself the question. You I think you're right. Your nervous system tells you that all the time. You get your nervous system attached to your soul. You ask your soul a question, your nervous system answers. Now, you get instantaneous reaction. 
it's our life. Yeah, we do. We have that. We do have it built in when we learn to tap into it. So many people have, they don't trust it, but it is our, um, it, it is with guidance in life if we really trust that. So that's part of our higher self is our intuition yeah, or yeah. our inner self. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, yeah, um, I wanted to um, bring up the movie that you uh, created, The Way of Miracles, the film, The Way of Miracles, which I had the privilege um, to preview. It is so inspiring, so fantastic, so intriguing and intoxicating in so many things, in so many ways. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, generally, about this movie and how we can, others can see this. How, you know, how can they watch it? Well, we, I, I met a producer named Christina Brasillo Bresson from New York about five years ago. And I said, Christina, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I spent the past 30 years of my life experiencing miracle recoveries, people with end-stage cancers, tumors in their brain, um, Parkinson's, MS, on and on and on, and people that had complete recoveries, complete recoveries. And we documented them in the movie. We let the patients tell the story. The patients tell their stories and their remarkable stories, incredible stories. So I say it's a movie about with, with incredible healing miracle stories and incredible storytellers. It's a great film. So we set out to, to produce uh, a format where we could actually have the patients tell their miracle stories and to just let the viewer soak up the reality that miracles are for real and they're accessible. And these, and these, are, these are people that have experienced the miracles and can validate the truth about miracle making. That's what the movie's all about. Mm. You did you did an excellent job, and you have um, sort of a handful of experts that pop in and out um, and sure. explain things from their perspective, which um, I really appreciated. I really like that. So now, Deepak Chopra Chopra's in the film. Yes, Bruce Deepak is in it. Yes, Bruce. Rupert, yes. Rupert Sheldrake is in the movie. It's great. Yeah, it is. You have some amazing people. Did you were you um, in touch with these people prior to this to making this film, or did you come across these people because you wanted them to be involved in the film? Well, there was actually a there was um, an expo out on the west coast. I think it was in San Francisco about two or three years ago, and Christina, the producer, was actually at the expo, and she she asked people if she could interview. Them. She gave him, gave him the, the lowdown on the film, the, the direction of the movie, asked him if they wanted to take part in it, and they said yes. So she was wonderful to, to capture those. That's, that is wonderful. So how do you use this in your practice? Are you still practicing? Or are, you, or, um, are you still seeing patients? Sure am. Still wow. Okay. And so is this sort of, not sort of, but is this a basis for how you help your patients working towards creating miracles? And that, and, that's, and, that, and that goes back to the question about the movie. The movie is really uh, capturing, it's a, it's a rendering of what my work is all about. And again, there's, there's patients, there's one woman in the movie who's 37 years old, she had a tumor, a, front, a prefrontal brain tumor, the size of a golf ball. They surgically removed. They opened up her skull and they removed. They removed the tumor. Two months later, it grew back. She said, "I'm not going to go through that brain tumor again. I can't brain surgery again. Really, I, I couldn't couldn't stand that." 
So we got rid of her tumor in like seven months. And she has she's been tumor free for nine years. So that, that's an example of a great story that that so many times has happened in my life. And I've had so many remarkable experiences. Natural medicine, nutrition, supplementation, positive mental attitude, spirituality, all the other Right. All, all kind of rolled into one that's actually become my practice. And then we, we captured on the film. Mm. Beautiful. It is the way that we should, <clears throat> it is what we should be moving towards. I mean, all the things that you talk about are, are, are things that I believe. And it's so refreshing to hear that you have embraced all these things and they're working and they're helping people because people don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn when they're in a health crisis and the medical field, traditional medicine, traditional Western medicine is not addressing the issue. And I know from myself, traditional Western medicine never addressed my issues because as I said in the beginning, your, um, the beginning of your life was very similar to the beginning of my life. And so I had a lot of somatic issues that were not documented, you know, that didn't show up in blood work or, or x-rays. So this is so important to me. This work is so important that you're doing. And I know that you have seen, well, you say, you've transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years. Um, so this is, this is really beautiful. Um, and your book, The Way of Miracles, Assessing Your Superconscious, is, is equally as profound as your movie. Now, how do we watch the movie? It's, it's on your website or on the website you said? Um, no, it, it, there's a website that actually is readily available. It's thewayofmiracles.com, thewayofmiracles.com. And they can tap right in. They can watch the movie on the website. Okay. And the book, you can, and, you can go to Amazon. Okay, Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a long movie, but so worth it. So to my listeners, if you, yeah, stay with it because it's, um, it just gets better and better. It's just wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate you being my guest Randy, today. thank this you is- so much. You did a beautiful job. You have a wonderful program, and I'm so thrilled to take part in your, your process. Great. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Okay, it's been a pleasure. It's lots, lots of fun and very interesting. I told you I was provocative. So <laughs> I told you you would jump into stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what I like to Amazing do. Amazing job. Okay, great. yeah. Okay, Mark. Well, have a great, great rest of your day, and take care. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, and let me, let, me know when the, let me know when the death book and uh, movie come out, okay? Will do. Will do. Okay. All right. I want to, I want to talk Thank about you. that next. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.